Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We are in Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 through 20. If you do not have your own copy of the Scriptures there, there's a copy there in the pew in front of you. We're on page 54 there. Jacob has left uh, the river Jabbok. He has crossed it limping because he wrestled with God all night and God touched his hip socket and exercised his power there to uh, wrench his his hip out of joint, and that's where we pick up today as he goes forward to meet his brother. So let us read together from Genesis chapter 33. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and the children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what do you mean by all these droves I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on your way, I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender, and that I must care for the ewes and the cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the droves before me and that of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Succoth. After Jacob came from Paddan Aram, he arrived safely in the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver, he he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. And there he set up an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, how how good it is to approach your word. How good it is to know that when we need you to speak to us, we have the scriptures. And that you give us the spirit, your spirit, to help drive those, those scriptures into our hearts so that we might be changed and walk with you. Lord, may that spirit be here with us today. 
May our ears be opened, our eyes be opened, so that we might be changed, so that we might walk closer with you, and so that we might know you better and love you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Prior to Jacob's meeting with the angel at the ford of Jabbok, the angel that we found out was the angel of the Lord, or the Lord himself, the pre-incarnate God, um, he had received a report from his messengers. He had sent messengers to Esau to say, hey, I'm coming and I would like to meet and I would like to find favor and reconciliation with you. And they brought back this ambiguous message, this message that Esau is on his way with 400 men or in the the terms of that day that would have let Esau know that or Jacob know that Esau was on his way with a small army, a small military group. So Esau set these plans in motion. He set aside gifts for Esau. He set aside, he he split up his family to protect at least part of his family. And he sent them on across the river as he wrestled with God. The next morning after wrestling with God, he is walking away with a limp. And there comes Esau in the distance. And that's where we pick up today. We pick up with Jacob seeing Esau in the distance and putting his plan into motion. He puts the maidservants and their children, they get to go first, then Leah and her children next, and finally Rachel, the favored wife, brings up the rear with Joseph, and Jacob walks forward into his destiny to meet the man who's coming with a small army who the last time Jacob had interaction with him, Esau promised to kill Jacob. As we look at this account and we look at the reconciliation, the glorious reconciliation that God brings between Esau and Jacob, I want us to see and consider two things. First, Jacob's changes, the changes that God has brought into Jacob's life. And also the fact that God can strike a straight blow with a couple crooked sticks. First, let's look at three changes that God has finally brought into Jacob's life. We're going to kind of consider, as we look at these three changes, we're going to consider who Jacob was and who Jacob has become. And so the first thing we're going to look at, the first change we're going to see that God has brought into Jacob's life is that God has changed Jacob's pride to humility. Remember who Jacob was when we first introduced him, or were first introduced to him. He was the one who had been promised while he was in the womb that he, as the younger son, would rule over the older son, And so he lived according to that promise. Esau comes to him initially and says, I'm famished, I'm hungry. And he lords over his his status above Esau. And he says, well, I'll give you whatever you want if you'll sell me what's rightfully yours. And so Esau does. He very proudly and pridefully goes to his father at his mother's direction and tricks his father into giving him the the blessing that was due to Esau. He shows up at the well in in Haran and he says, I will take what's mine by showing off my strength. He tries to show off his intellect with Laban. Everything he has done thus far has been motivated, motivated by the pride of that promise that Esau would serve him in the future. And yet when he greets Esau, what does he do? He bows to the ground seven times. Now this 
is not what we typically think about in bowing. What do we think about in bowing? We think about the queen in England when people approach her. Or we think about the very eastern form of bowing when people just kind of bend from the waist and just kind of lower their head a little bit. Jacob would have been on his knees, on his hands, with his face pressed into the mud and the dirt and the dust and the whatever else was there in the ground before Esau. This would have been a, almost what we would consider today a groveling. But this was the proper way to greet a king in this day and age. It wasn't just some perfunctory head, perfunctory head nod or some Eastern Oriental bowing at the waist. It was to plant your face in the dirt at the feet of the king to say, I am nothing and you are everything. And that is how Jacob meets his brother. He meets him with humility. And in that we see that God has changed Jacob's pride to humility. But that's not all that God has changed in Jacob. He changes Jacob's greed to generosity. He tricked Isaac out of the blessing that belonged to Esau. He tricked Esau out of the birthright that belonged to Esau. He tried to use manipulative superstition to try and grow his own flocks, to grow his own wealth to grow his own importance. But here today we see this change to generosity as he gives gifts and blessings to Esau. Initially, we're told here that, that Jacob says, if, 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 you can find, if I have find, found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. And then later on, he calls it a present. But that word there, present, is an interesting word in the original language. It's actually the same word that's used earlier in the book for blessing. Jacob is giving up his right to grab after the blessing that was rightfully Esau's. Remember, he had tricked Isaac into giving him that blessing. And he repays the blessing that he stole from Esau. And in generosity, he calls it a gift and a blessing. And Esau accepts this gift. Esau accepts this blessing and in accepting it without giving one in return. Esau is saying, I accept your generosity as, as plenty payment for what you owe me. So God changes Jacob's pride to humility. He changes his greed to generosity. But he also finally changes Jacob's self-reliance to worship. All the blessings that God had promised to him before he was born, Jacob has tried to get on his own. Whether it was the trickery of Esau and Isaac, whether it was the attempted trickery of Laban, whatever it was, he had tried to gain everything on his own. But after he has had this meeting with Esau where he has found reconciliation with Esau, after he has been established in his wealth, he goes to Shechem and he worships. He sets up an altar there and he worships before God. So we see that God has changed Jacob's self-reliance to worship. And really, this is changes that we all need in our lives. Each and every one of us are proud. 
You and I at times are greedy. And each and every one of us is self-reliant. We try to take the promises that God has given to us and work out our own situations where we try to fix it ourselves. And basically what we're doing in each and every one of those things is we're saying, God, you've promised that you'll do these things for me. You've promised that you are all powerful. You've promised that you are all glorious. But I got this better than you do. That's how Jacob lived his life up until that encounter with God at the ford of the river Jabbok. He basically said, God, I've got this. Now we see throughout his life that there were changes, that God was moving him in this direction. What we see when he finally had this face-to-face encounter, this intimate encounter with God, and survived, that this change had finally come about. Oftentimes, not only do we seek to gain the promises in our lives um, on our own, but we seek the change in our lives that we need, the change from pride to humility, the change from greed to generosity, the change from self-reliance to worship. We, we try to do that by ourselves too. And what it takes is an intimate reliance upon God for those things to begin to become changes in our lives. It takes us with our hips wrenched out of joint, clinging to God, saying, bless me, bless me, bless me for those changes to come about. We have to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of God to let go of ourselves so that He can change us and move us forward into the changes that we need. But lest we think that God has changed Jacob once and for all, we're reminded in this passage that oftentimes God uses a crooked stick to draw a straight or to strike a straight blow. We need to look at Esau's motivation and Jacob's sin, even in this reconciliation, to see how God has used both to move his plan forward. Not going to focus on this a lot, but that is the glory of this passage right there. Is that God has wrought reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. This was like the worst of sibling rivalries. If if any of you have brothers or sisters, you know how when growing up there is always tension between brothers and sisters. There's a there's this improper fight for the favoritism of the the parents. There's this improper fight for for status and position within the family. Um, But that was just huge and writ large here in the life of Jacob and Esau. In fact, the sibling sibling rivalry came to the point where Esau was going to kill his brother. Now, I had problems with my sister growing up, but I never wanted to kill her, okay? She may have thought I did. She may have, my parents might have worried that I was going to, but that was never my goal and my intention. That's how it ended with Jacob and Esau. And God, God worked a glorious reconciliation between Jacob and Esau, but He did it with two sinners. He did it with two very imperfect people. Esau's motivation was not driven by a changed heart. Look at verse 9 again. What does it say when he finds these, when he's given these gifts from Jacob? He says, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. He's not looking at Jacob saying, Look, you and I both worship the God 
of our father Isaac and our grandfather Abraham. I've got enough. I don't need your stuff anymore. We know more than likely from where Esau lived and through history that other people lived there before Esau. These 400 people that were with him probably were an army that he had used to get his goods and his wealth in the way that, that Isaac told him he would. Through military force. Through conquering and stealing from the people there. He doesn't have a changed heart. He's still a very violent man. And he says, I don't need your stuff because i got enough of my own stuff already. No changed heart there. But God still uses that to bring glorious reconciliation. Unless we think that Jacob has been changed to perfection, Jacob in some ways is still Jacob. He still shows favoritism. Why did he let Rachel and Joseph go last? Because if Esau attacked, they had the best chance of escaping. And Rachel and Jacob, Joseph are still his favorite. He still shows his favoritism. He's still a bit of a schemer. Esau says, Jacob, why don't you come with me? Come on and you, you can hang out in my house. He said, well, you know what? I, we can't go that fast. We'll, we'll make our own time to get there. Well, let me leave some people with you. No, no, there's no reason to do that. Everything's good between us. Just, just go on and I'll catch up later. And he turns around and goes the other way as soon as Esau's back is turned. And even though he worships, he has delayed the fulfillment of his oath. Because remember, as he was leaving the promised land at Bethel, after he's seeing that vision of the angels ascending and descending, of, him stand, of God standing above heaven and earth, he says, I promise God when I get back here, I will come back to this very spot and worship you. There's probably several years that he spends in Sukkoth, 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 however we pronounce that. Several years that he spends in Shechem before he finally shows up to Bethel to worship God as he promised. We think oftentimes that in order for God to use us, we've got to get everything together in our lives. Well, God can use me once I reach a certain level of holiness. I can begin to talk about God once I get whatever issue this is worked out in my life. I can go and seek to alleviate suffering in the world once I have finally you know, gotten all my ducks in a row. God uses us where we are. As trite as I think this sounds sometimes, as misused as this, this thing is, not, not in my own personal life, not in the life of my family, but in, in other areas as a statement is used sometimes, there's truth in it. God does not call the prepared, He prepares the called. If I had waited till I had perfect knowledge of what I needed to do to be a preacher, I still wouldn't be here today. There are things that God's calling you to do that you're waiting for a certain level of holiness for, that you're waiting for a certain level of preparedness for to start doing. And God says, I'll use you as broken and as sinful as you are right now. We talked about this a little bit last week. God says, my power is made strong and shown in weakness. God uses our weaknesses to work. God uses our brokenness, our crookedness 
to strike a straight blow. So we see in today's passage that God has changed Jacob. And we have seen in today's passage that God can use a crooked stick to strike a straight blow. I was struck as I was studying this today, the similarities between this passage and the New Testament reading, the the, the story of the prodigal son. Esau comes out running, hugging and kissing and greeting his brother. And at the end of the story, we still have two two brothers going off in separate directions, even though there's been reconciliation. This is probably the last... Other than the the death of Isaac, this will be the last time that we see Jacob and Esau in the same place together. Reconciliation comes through the work of God. And Jesus, in giving us that parable, was reminding us that it is both the younger brother that has pursued the wildlife that needs God's reconciliation And it is the older brother who has kept all the rules and stayed around who needs God's reconciliation as well. God is a God who brings together people who are apart. One of the worst things that we can do oftentimes in the church is to not seek reconciliation. Whenever we have a brother or a sister who is offended against us, We do a disservice to God. We do a disservice to the church when we do not pursue reconciliation. Now, reconciliation looks different in every circumstance. But God has gone to great lengths to reconcile his people to himself. And we should go to great lengths as well to seek reconciliation with our loved ones. It takes God changing our pride to humility. It takes God changing our greed to generosity. And it takes God changing our self-reliance to worship oftentimes for us to pursue that reconciliation. But we're called to pursue it. And so let us reconcile with those whom God is reconciled with. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who reconciles And we thank you that you are a God who takes us wherever we are and you use us to bring reconciliation into our world and into our families and into our church. Lord, change us. Help us to be people who are humble. Help us to be people who are generous and help us to be people who worship you in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.